0: I'm going to read for us John fourteen chapter uh, verse nineteen to twenty seven. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, um, this is the main text for our message today. John fourteen chapter nineteen to chapter fourteen verses nineteen to twenty seven. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Uh, Bruce, if you'd like to come up to the front, Um, Bruce is going to bring our message for us today.
1: Peace. Peace be with you. Shalom. Have you ever been to a church service where you were asked to offer a sign of peace to the people around you? People turn to each other, shake hands, and say, Peace to you. We look into each other's eyes, shake hands and offer peace to each other. It's a beautiful thing to do, and it's been done in many cultures over many centuries and millennia. So in that spirit, can I ask you to turn to the person next to you and then to a few others around nearby, shake their hands and offer them a sign of peace by saying, peace to you or peace be with you. all right, right, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) But um, as you're engaged with a person, what were you actually thinking or feeling? What did you mean by your offering of peace? By saying peace, peace be with you, what did it actually mean to you? An offer of peace from person to person is a beautiful, profound gesture because it is a sign or symbol of the divine nature of God. Peace is a profound fundamental aspect of the divine nature of God. Our God, the Christian God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is God of peace. In recent weeks, we've been sharing in a series on the nature of God. And Pastor Damien spoke about sharing together in community Uh, as God himself is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but especially sharing and connecting with each other over a meal. Pastor Ian spoke on God's unique declaration of himself in the saving of a whole um, nation, uh, that of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, and of God's attributes of mercy, holiness, forgiveness, forgiveness, slowness to anger, righteousness, and restorative justice, just to name a few. Then Damo spoke on God's provision, and he asked the curly question, why is there suffering in the world? And you can um, go to the, the newsletter, and there was a follow-up on that. Today, we're looking at the wondrous peace or shalom characteristic of god's divine nature shalom is loaded with meaning and power because it flows from god's own character and is the essence of god's kingdom that jesus announced and incarnated shalom is the hebrew word which is broadly translated peace in english it's an also it's an ancient historical greeting between people of the Old Testament times and is still used today. But Shalom has a far broader meaning than simply peace, just as peace is a broad term as well. It's far more than just the lack of conflict or violence. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this. (laughs) I wonder if it'll work. Okay. (laughs) there are some of the meanings these are some of the meanings of shalom shalom is God's dream for the world as it should be whole, vibrant flourishing unified and yes at peace shalom is God's dream for his love to bring wholeness and goodness to the world and everything within it including you and me Shalom is a persistent vision of joy, well-being, harmony, and prosperity, a vision with many dimensions and subtle nuances, love, loyalty, grace, salvation, justice, blessing, righteousness. Shalom is the freight of a dream of God that resists all our tendencies to division, hostility, fear, Drivenness and misery. And thirdly, these are great quotes, I thought. There is no shalom without justice, but shalom goes beyond justice. Shalom is the human being dwelling at peace in all his or her relationships with God, with self, with fellows or others, and with nature. And we can see that here on this diagram. So there's the person in the middle. We have a relationship with God. We have this circular relationship with ourselves and with others and then with creation. But let's recap because there were a lot of words there. Let's see if this will work. Ooh. Whole, vibrant, flourishing, unified, at peace, wholeness, goodness, joy, well being, harmony, prosperity, love, loyalty, grace, salvation, justice, blessing righteousness it wasn't supposed to go on um, Yeah. anyway the idea was to leave that there for a bit and you could just reflect on all of them but we're going to move on so let's think about where shalom comes within the context of the bible itself so in genesis no it's jumped oh yeah in Genesis uh, 43, 27, 28, we see the first use of Shalom. So Joseph, still unrecognised by his brothers, is asking about their health. You remember the story. He was thrown out by his brothers down a well. He was taken to Egypt, became a big, big, important well, uh, person in Egypt. There was um, a famine in Israel. The brothers took Uh, Went over there and uh, asking for food. They were asking from Joseph, who they didn't think had survived, so they didn't recognize him. And Joseph says, Then he asked them about the well being, their well being, and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He's still alive. So in Hebrew, The word translated well-being, well, in good health, is all one word, shalom. So um, in Numbers 6.23.26, God said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So the first time we see shalom used as a direct word of greeting in the Bible is from an angel who says in Judges 6.23, the angel tells Gideon, shalom to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. And in the very next verse, Gideon builds an altar and calls it Yahweh shalom. The Lord is peace. These are all very well-known verses. Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As prophesied 700 years earlier in Isaiah, the child born to us, could be referred to as Prince of Inner Fullness or Peace and, in fact, is the only one who can give this type of internal peace and rest. Four more. The Apostle Paul ended his second letter to the Thessalonians, Now may the Lord of Peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. In Luke, when Jesus appeared to the disciples after he rose from the grave on the third day, we read, While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. At the birth of Jesus, angels appeared to shepherds in Bethlehem, bringing good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. After the instructions on how to find the baby, many more angels appeared proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And finally, in the upper room, and we'll come back to this later, we read in John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So that's a bit of a quick snapshot of some of the references of peace, shalom, uh, concerning the nature of God through the Bible. But there are lots and lots more. But now I'd like to backtrack to the very first book of the Bible where we can find a short fascinating, essential account in Genesis 3 that gives us a clue to the shalom nature of God, and it informs our reading of Scripture from that point on. So in Genesis 3, we read, this is verse 8 and 9, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? The first humans have eaten of the forbidden fruit and now their innocence is lost. They feel shame and guilt and they try to hide from God. Does God know where they are? Well, of course he does. He's God. He knows everything, he's everywhere. Yet he walks in the garden, something like a human, and calls out to Adam, Where are you? So from these two verses, we can infer three things God limits himself. God waits for a response and God wants relationship. Regarding God limiting himself, we read that this omnipotent God came down and was walking in the garden. That shows us that God lowered himself and took on the limitations of his created. He was looking for Adam. Therefore, he diminished himself, casting away his. Omnipotence to walk and search and talk in the same way as did his created man and woman. Secondly, God waits for a response. This all knowing God called out, Where are you? Surely God knew where Adam was. He knows everything. Yet in this verse, we find that he gave Adam the chance to respond. He had humbled himself to come down to Adam's level and now he was calling out to Adam to return to him. And lastly, God wants relationship. From the fact that God was walking about and looking, we can surmise that this was something that he did quite often with Adam and Eve, possibly taking walks with them In the evening, what is astounding about this, though, is that the all-powerful Creator God seemed to have a personal relationship with Adam and Eve. The possibility that He did this often suggests that He cared about them. He sought out their companionship. He was looking for them, which implies that He wanted to spend time with them. Yes, He was in relationship with them, and He was looking to make the relationship complete and whole. So God's nature becomes clear. He wants restoration. He wants wholeness, completeness of relationship, even after there's been transgression. He offers Adam and Eve choice to respond. There must be justice. However, response seems to be Response seems to be more important to God than transgression. Shalom, as this became known, that is, God's vision for peaceful wholeness of relationship, is the point. How are you going? <laughs> okay, so I hate reductionism, that is, trying to reduce down huge complex ideas into simple statements but that's exactly what I've done so sorry here it comes question what is the person purpose of life why are we here answer the purpose of life is to know God we are here to respond to God's invitation to return to him To really know God is to be in relationship with Him. This is Shalom. And this is why God has sent His Son to redeem the world through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. Last week Damo spoke about wrestling with God in questions about suffering when God's provision seems to be lacking. And here, again, it is through trials. And suffering like Christ's suffering on the cross, that the depth of relationship is revealed. God's purpose is restoration and peace, but coming to restoration must be genuine to the very core, perfected in suffering. And you can look that up in Hebrews 5. Love cannot be real if it's demanded or commanded. Love is something freely given and received. So God calls us, Adam, Eve, where are you? He offers peace. But Adam and Eve, you and I, must agree to be in love with God. For us, when we see God working towards the vision of shalom, that is wholeness and completeness in peace, then we are willingly constrained, willingly compelled by the utter generosity, kindness and irresistible grace of God. Our response is that we are filled with the spirit to be like God because we've had a glimpse of his nature, a glimpse of who he is. He has entered us and we become just a little bit like him. So back to this diagram. I want to talk a little bit about the four relationships here. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others, and peace with the world. In all these relationships, we need to consider how they interact with social systems, political systems, economic systems, and religious systems, but I won't get too far into that. Peace with God. We must move from the Old Testament to the New Testament in a discussion about peace. And in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 we read, God, who at various times and in diverse ways spoke to past Uh, spoke in past times to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things and by whom also he made the worlds. So we're focusing now on his Son, Jesus. During the Last Supper, Jesus taught many things to the disciples before going to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was arrested. Regarding peace, Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven, "'Peace I leave with you. "'My peace I give you.'" His peace, he gives his peace because he gives himself. And in so giving, and in so far as we are able to receive the gift... We receive the qualities and attributes of Jesus' life. His peace is inseparable from his presence, and it comes with him. The Christ, as a man, was not troubled by distress or turmoil or passions or competing desires, and no outward things could break his calm. If we open our hearts in faith, love and hope to Jesus... For Jesus to enter into our hearts and minds, we too may be at rest. For his peace may be our peace. We can't be at rest deep down. We're talking about deep down here, at the very core of our being. The calm, still, quiet, all-pervading central tranquility that our souls long for. We can't have this unless we know and feel that we are right with God, that there is nothing between us and him. And it is because Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, has made it possible for you and me to feel this, that he is our peace. And he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. You agree with that? Know what I'm talking about? When God calls Adam, where are you? He's already planned that we can come to wholeness and completeness through the Saviour Jesus Christ. Let's talk about peace with ourselves. When we're at peace with ourselves, there'll be no stinging conscience. There'll be no unsatisfied desires. We're talking about deep down now, deep level. There will be no inner disconnect between inclination and duty, between reason and will, between passion and judgment. There will be the quiet of a harmonised nature which has one object, one aim, one love and that is relationship with God to know God. The kind of harmonised nature, that kind of harmonised nature will have no contradictions running through its inmost self. This is a peace that passes understanding and it only comes as a free gift from Jesus Christ our Lord, our aim, our all. Without God living in us, as we live in him, our consciences will sting, and that destroys peace. Or if they do not sting, they will be apathetic, and that destroys peace. And in that state, death is not peace. God is calling us, where are you? He is saying, don't hide out there alone. Come to me and I will give you rest and peace. Let's talk about peace with others. In sociology, there are five main categories of social interaction. They are exchange between people, competition between each other, conflict And then there's cooperation and accommodation. Exchange, cooperation and accommodation tend to stabilise social structure, while competition and conflict tend to encourage, let's call it, social change. In dealing with others, we will engage in all of these types of interactions as we go through life, and ideally, our faith will help to inform the way we go about these interactions. Perhaps the most telling negative to address in our interpersonal interactions with others is selfishness. We need to balance up our needs and wants with our beliefs and convictions. And here again, our relationships may be thoroughly sweetened in God The divine love of Jesus Christ pouring into our hearts can and will inform all of our relationships. Where are you? God calls as we battle with our own and others' selfishness. Is it time to cooperate and accommodate in a situation? Or is it time to compete or even be in conflict? May God's vision of shalom inform the way we look at, look upon others and interact with them. And may God's vision of shalom guide the choices we make regarding politics, economics and religion. Don't worry, we're getting close to the end now. So, peace with the world... Now, all of these sentiments, they're not really sentiments, they're broader and deeper than that, but they are wonderful, mirac- miraculous. But if, like us, we've never really seen terrible hardship close at hand, disaster, war, famine, it's easy to suggest that if we believe and are saved, then everything will be honky dory. But we all know that is not necessarily the case. And every one of us has our cross to bear in this life. Every life will have its share of tragedy and suffering, as well as victory and peace. But I think the best way to try to sum up the way we experience peace with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world around us, is to tell a story. So here goes. When I was 19, I was offered a job with a few friends from around here. The job was located out of Mount Bundy in the Northern Territory. So I flew to Darwin, found my way some 200 kilometres out on the Humpty Doo Road to the granite mine where I was to start work. It was the middle of nowhere, lush, tropical vegetation, and wet-season heat and humidity. We would drill holes with the air-track drill into the granite cliff face and then fill the holes with ammonium nitrate soaked in diesel. We'd link the holes with plastic explosive wire, attach a detonator and then blow huge bits of rock the size of cars into the quarry. From there, we'd use a one-metre jackhammer and drill holes in the car-sized rocks, which we would in turn fill with explosive and blow up the rocks that we could pick up in a front-end loader. Then we'd uh, we'd fill the haul trucks and take them to the crusher. The crusher would create blue metal, which would be conveyed to piles and picked up by trucks for the use of making roads. None of that's really relevant except the ammonium nitrate. Blowing up and smashing rocks in the middle of nowhere was a pretty exciting job for a 19 year old. But the point of the story is the explosive, the ammonium nitrate. Ammonium nitrate is commonly known as the greatest invention of the 20th century, it's fertiliser quite cheap to produce, and incredibly good at producing food. During the 19th century, the primary source of fertiliser in Europe was guano, which is bird poop, imported from individual Pacific islands like Nauru. Still, all the bird droppings Europeans could import were not enough to feed the growing agricultural industry. Luckily, though large deposits of sodium nitrate. Better known as saltpeter were discovered in the Chilean desert. This was an excellent source of nitrogen, but would not last forever. Many scientists predicted massive starvation when the saltpeter ran out. In the early 20th century, a German chemist found that if nitrogen reacted with hydrogen under pressure... Ammonia was formed. This was a breathtaking discovery. Ammonia could be converted into solar ammonium nitrate, and ammonium nitrate is an ideal water soluble fertiliser. Today, three in five people on the planet are fed as a direct result of crops made possible by ammonium nitrate. Incidentally, um, Fritz Haber, who was the German chemist, also invented chlorine gas, which was used in World War I to kill thousands and thousands of soldiers. So, ammonium nitrate. Here we have a product that can be either amazing at supporting life or a violent explosive, which can be used to blow up things. Whether it's used for production or destruction comes down to human choice. We can use it for good, we can use it for bad. Human choice comes down to either hearing God's call or hiding from him. Where are we God says, where are you, Adam and Eve? Where are we? So I think, you know, I haven't finished now, so, you know, in summing up, um, God calls us. We can respond positively or negatively. We can use our lives for good. We can make good choices. Or we can make bad ones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come to you. We want you to come not just to us but into us. We want to live in you as you live in us. We want to become like you, Heavenly Father. And we thank you for designing from the very beginning and then bringing the Saviour Christ, your Son, to draw us and make it possible for us to find that relationship with you. Lord, help us to continue day by day to respond, to turn towards you, to listen to you, and to love you more and more each day, as we know that, Lord, that is how we will find peace while we are alive alive on this earth. We ask, Lord, that you'll give us peace with ourselves, give us peace with each other, and help us to be at peace with nature. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.